0: I am proud to be working with Jean-Paul Gaultier to show that everyone has the power within them to make it rain with pride. Jean-Paul Gaultier has been a champion of the LGBTQ community from the very beginning in 1982, consistently creating a place of inclusivity for all from fashion to fragrance. From dressing men in skirts to the iconic Sailor fragrance bottles, right through to being the first designer to cast transgender models in their Fashion Week show back in 2014. When it comes to embracing the LGBTQ community in its entirety, there is no one quite like Jean Paul Gaultier. The brand remains a symbol of queer freedom, a freedom to dress how you want, be who you want and love who you want. And the gorgeous new rainbow limited edition L'Amel Pride collector bottle symbolises just that. And even better, 100% of the profits go towards the national LGBTQ plus youth homelessness charity, AKT, who have provided over 250,000 nights off the street for LGBTQ plus young people at risk of or experiencing homelessness. And with Jean-Paul Gaultier's help, more LGBTQ plus youth will feel safer. You can pick up your very own Lamel Pride bottle right now from Look Fantastic. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this very special mini-series, Make It Rain with Pride. I'm Josh Smith, a journalist and presenter, and I've learnt so much from the incredible people I've met throughout my career, especially on this very podcast. And it feels only right to share the amazing words of wisdom I've heard with you. This podcast is all about celebrating the successes of some of our favourite kings and queens who open up about the obstacles and adversity they've had to overcome in their lives by telling the stories of how they found the power to make it rain. This special series is something super close to my heart as it's dedicated to celebrating all the amazing members and allies of the LGBTQ community. I needed role models like these people you'll meet in this series, not only when I was growing up, but throughout my life. So I hope these open and honest conversations also encourage you to live authentically as you and make it rain with pride every damn day, no matter how you identify. In this episode of Make It Rain, we are joined by one of the most famous drag queens in the world, Shane Jennick, aka Courtney Act. After growing up in Brisbane, Shane created the drag persona Courtney Act. And after auditioning for the inaugural series of Australian Idol back in 2003, they became the first LGBTQ contestant to openly appear on reality TV shows Down Under. Just after moving to LA, Courtney went on to star in the sixth season of RuPaul's Drag Race, where she finished joint runner up just behind Bianca Del Rio. As one of Australia's most prominent drag exports, New York Magazine named Courtney as the third most powerful drag queen in America. She went on to win UK's Celebrity Big Brother and was the first same-sex pairing in the Australian version of Dancing With The Stars. As a true trailblazer, Courtney now presents the podcast Building Queertopia, which brings together members and allies of the LGBTQ community by asking them to envisage a perfect queer utopia where everyone is welcome but before you race to listen to that this episode of make it rain the final in our pride series is a must listen as we talk about shane's complex relationship with straight men how drag has impacted his mental health and how he has learned to love himself i hope you love this chat just as much as i did so get those crowns at the ready Shane, how
1: are you? I'm good. I just got home from the gym. I'm guzzling down a protein shake. <laughs> and I'm ready for a deep and meaningful chat with you. Stunning.
0: What was in the protein shake?
1: Um, There was uh, uh, soy milk. There was protein powder. There was another like strange sort of like Amino acid powder that my dad told me would keep me young forever. So far, it's working. Um, chia seeds, peanut butter. I
0: didn't have any bananas, um,
1: and I already swallowed my vitamin D capsule earlier. So.
0: Oh, well done on already swallowing your vitamin D capsule mm-hmm. at one o'clock in the afternoon. You'll go. You're a go getter. <laughs> up and well, Adam. well thank you so much for joining me because this season of make it rain is all about celebrating all things pride yay yay and we always kick off by asking in 2021 what do you think pride means to you
1: um to me pride is this thing that um is paying dividends in 2021 because it's been a long journey and I know that it's paying dividends because I was just saying yesterday, I was talking to a group of fellow homosexuals (laughs) and I was like, I constantly still get shocked when straight men are genuinely nice to me Mm, I do too. Be- yes, like when they're not even—it's not performative. It's not in a the workplace. They're like they actually just treat you like a fellow human being, and they're genuinely interested in something about you, even though you don't have a vagina and you don't know anything about football. Mm. And there's this—it to me, Pride in 2021 is this is this uh, tangible change, this tangible shift in society where I now as a queer person feel more understood and accepted um and i think that the litmus test for that is the the heterosexual white man mm. and and it's not all you know straight blokes by any means but just that that i remember there was a time not so long ago maybe 10 years ago where you would always just feel like when you're around straight guys, you just be a little bit like you knew your place, mm. you knew that very conscious, conscious, you knew they yeah. were the top dog. And you knew that you were there. And they would be nice to you so long as they had to be. But if another straight man came along, they would quickly dump you to, you know, mm. join with their their teammate sort of thing. Um And uh, and yes, I think that Pride in twenty twenty one is is it's paying dividends. It's the pride. It's the people that have come before us who have fought so hard and for so long, whose stories have been you know struggled to be told that have been told, and those stories have created visibility and understanding in the wider community, and continue to do so. And I think, you know, obviously I'm talking about the the limited paradigm of you know Western um, city life. Uh, and I know that in so many other parts of not even the world, just like the 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 countries that I live in, the US, the UK and Australia, but certainly um, around the rest of the world as well, there are still places where there is still so much work t- to be done. And that, you know, being friends with straight men <laughs> is uh, a far cry from the realities of of many people. Uh, around the world so it's it's wonderful to see change happening and it's it's good because to me it's almost like
0: okay it's working. Do you know what the thing is it's so interesting what you were saying about your relationship with straight men because mm. I have been so almost like paranoid and so conscious of myself around straight men like my whole entire life mainly mm-hmm. because when I was younger I was constantly trying to hide aspects yeah. of myself in order to fill in like how is your relationship for want of a better term changed with straight men as you've gone through your life and being scared of them because i've always felt very scared of them i'm not sure if that's the same for you no definitely
1: i always felt like i had to minimize parts of myself i would always be code switching and i remember in 2018 i was moving out of my apartment in um los angeles it was around halloween as i recall and i booked someone on TaskRabbit to help move stuff um he happened to be quite handsome, but that's just because I was living in West Hollywood, and everybody <laughs> is attractive there it's It's almost uncomfortable um, <laughs> and he came over and he was like this like hot, straight bloke and i like uh, uh, uh like I'm a drag queen like it, like there's levels of queerness, and I'm pretty damn queer and he was moving, like, like my drag room, which was the irony, like, all of these costumes, like, things that are also extremely queer. And he arrived, and I found myself, like, oh, yeah, g'day, how you going? Yeah, hi, uh, yeah, we're just going to move these, these boxes and these, uh, yeah, costumes over here that... Uh... And I was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> A, you're in West Hollywood, literally the first gay city of the world that was incorporated <laughs> back in the... The 80s or the 70s or something is the first gay city And you're like code switching Because there's some like man at your door Who's straight And I just, I remember at that moment I was a little bit mad at myself For doing that But then I also knew that I did that Because I learnt that that's what I had to do To survive for so long mm. And it was kind of a hangover From that era There was nothing about this man that was threatening Do you know what I mean? Like there was nothing that that made That actually... Meant that I was unsafe in his presence at all It was just the hangover from the past conditioning Um, And yeah, I definitely remember like And I think the twisted thing is That a lot of it began in high school, right? Mm. Where you were not only understanding your gender And your place in the hierarchy of masculinity and femininity And society You were also understanding your sexuality and and for me, as a 14-year-old boy, I remember that's where my sexuality was forged, in the closet. And I remember having crushes on the straight boys
0: at school. Always.
1: <laughs> the ostensibly straight boys who were, by definition, never going to be capable of loving me back. So, like, that is the seed of my sexuality. It's unrequited love for... These ostensibly straight guys Mm. in high school And it's taken me I'm 39 It's taken me 20 years To unpack that And understand (laughs) My Ongoing unrequited relationships of my teens and 20s and 30s and and why I kept repeating those same behaviours. And I was like, oh, I see it now. I fall in love with boys who are never going to be love me back because that's exactly how I came to understand my sexuality as a 14-year-old. So it's Mm. really interesting, like, watching the way how all of these facets unfold um, in our lives. And I'm just glad that I've kind of been here long enough to see the world change enough to understand... Um, the actual process.
0: Do you think with that in mind, you learning to be proud of yourself and becoming proud of yourself has enabled you to actually forge, not necessarily better, but healthier relationships in your life? For sure. I think that the
1: process, when when you're, I mean, every every human, not just queer people, but every human has their stuff that they have to Mm. overcome. Like literally everybody has a story. And I think because we don't share those stories, so often we think that our story, I mean, our stories are obviously individually unique, but but so often because we don't share those stories, they become shame and they become um, things that we don't shed a light on and that we do keep a secret. And I think for queer people especially, I mean, you know, the queer community are the the only community who have a a term, a globally recognised term to describe the place they hide in shame, which is the closet. And um, I think that unpacking that and understanding as an adult that the reason that I felt that shame about my identity is because there was no visibility, there was no representation Mm um there were no examples like when you discover that you like boys and you're in high school nobody i mean now thankfully yes there are but back then in the in the 90s all i had was the spice girls um and and so yeah you kind of learn to like hide those things about yourself but even still today you get stories from like young kids who struggle with coming out you know whether it be gay or lesbian or bi or or pan or trans or any sorts of these identities there are still you know, struggles that happen. But I think coming to understand why you feel that way enables you to understand that that's just someone else's stuff that's put on you mm. and that who you are at the core is actually valid. And when you do come to accept and appreciate that all of those things about yourself that you thought were weaknesses and you and you turn it around and you realise that they can actually be your greatest strengths, I think that that's such a, a place of, of power to come from
0: yeah one thousand percent and I think that's what Queertopia building Queertopia your podcast is all about it's about looking at the world and how we can make it um more a place where queer individuals feel accepted and they feel that they can just live their life without um having to compromise themselves which is sadly not a world we still live in at the moment but for you what do you still find is the greatest stumbling block when it comes into when it comes to creating a free society and feeling like you live in a free society?
1: Um I think the I think the stumbling block right now it's interesting, right? Because like there's so much visibility. I mean, there's a lot of drag queens that are very visible. <laughs> um who and I know that they don't represent, you know, the queer community at large But they are the most visible at the moment There's also a lot of trans representation With shows like Pose and Transparent um, and, um, and, and it's wonderful that we have those facets Of the queer community being represented But I think that like I think that the um, One of the biggest struggles Is perhaps not the people who are most visible But the people who kind of blend in mm. Because for a lot of them they get by without being so different that they have to identify themselves, But actually they sort of live in the biggest closet of all. And I personally come in contact with a lot of those people uh, through the guise of being a glamorous woman who has a penis, uh, because there are a lot of men out there who are um, attracted to people who may not present explicitly male or female and it's so fascinating seeing the taboo and the shame and the uh, confusion that comes from sort of those sorts of identities that might be a bit more in between maybe a little less binary Mm. um, in how they present their sexuality Um, and I see that there's a lot of struggle and a lot of confusion and just like a lot of misunderstanding and and because there's this idea of like gay the lifestyle and then there's like attraction and there's all of these like nuances to sexuality and gender that i don't think are clearly understood um and i think that i think really the, the the thing that we need is just more stories not just my story or you know stories of people who look like me but more stories of like all of the facets of the queer community which is something that we're really trying to do in queertopia like we, we've interviewed You know People from the LGBTQIAQ And the plus um, So it's Yeah it's about Sort of getting those stories Out there And just humanising them I think
0: Because I think What you said there Is about What we're taught As well In society What gender means And I think We still are trying To work out How to talk about gender In a more nuanced way mm. For you Growing up How do you wish that people around you approach gender and how do you wish that you were taught about the construct and the actuality of gender? Well,
1: it's funny, right? Because there's so much controversy about this topic, especially when it comes to the idea of growing up and what Mm. children should be taught and what should be discussed with children. And I, I think whilst it's really important to let the detractors know why they're wrong i think sometimes we spend so much energy on that that we actually forget to um we actually forget what the really important thing is which is like actually like lifting up the narrative that we want lifted up Mm. and i just think the the fascinating thing is like i feel like gender the this discussion about gender that queer people are having that that trans and non-binary people are having it actually liberates everyone um, mm. I think we're becoming more aware of the idea of you know this binary system of man and woman and, and how um, it doesn't serve most of the people on the planet I mean simply by virtue of the fact that most of the people on the planet are women um, and then in the in the categories of that they're just they're just you know we know that the the issues with the, the dominant leadership of men making the rules and, uh, you know, being in power for such a long time and the imbalances and the the, the gender inequalities that occur, you know, just in the male-female dynamic. Um, and I really think that the breaking down of that, I think that um, the, the breaking down of this idea that just because you have genitals that look a certain way, that you should act a certain way, perform a certain role in society, feel a certain way, dress a certain way, They're just all things that, like, we agreed upon mutually, you know, a few thousand years ago They're not necessarily true And I think the more that we can deconstruct this idea that because someone has a penis They need to wear blue and trousers And because somebody has a vulva, they need to wear pink and skirts Then we're Mm -hmm. actually going to do so much more justice for humanity at large And so this idea of, like non-binary people that like you know we hear conservative people getting up in arms about we're just talking about like people wearing bits of cloth and expressing themselves like differently like the idea of sort of non the non-binary identity is actually more about just casting off the expectation of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and I just think that that's so helpful to everybody and I wish when I was younger I was just given all of the options I wish there mm. wasn't a, a specific emphasis put on um, And for, and I'm very fortunate Because my, my parents were both pretty like cool With whatever I wanted to do There was obviously still like, you know, gendered roles and things But if I wanted to play with like the Shearer doll I wasn't shamed for that I was allowed to play with that And I went to got to go to singing and dancing school And like that was never like, well, that's a girl's thing It was just like, oh Shane loves singing and dancing like yeah cool and so yeah I just wish that all of the options had been given and I think that I was fortunate that my parents were so supportive but I think society at large was still very much you know gendered and conditioned and um and I think that's where a lot of my struggles came from is where it was at school or just what you saw on television you just knew that there was not actually any place for a boy who liked feminine things mm. um and so yeah the idea that it's okay for girls to be masculine and it's okay for boys to be feminine is such a a liberating idea i think
0: Mm. well we're going to be talking more about that liberation quickly after this quick little break (laughs) no sense celebrates everything the queer spirit is about like Jean-Paul Gaultier fragrances the iconic fragrance Lamelle has had a rainbow makeover this Pride season and the Pride Collector bottle is available at Look Fantastic right now. 100% of profits from each purchase will go towards the national LGBTQ plus youth homelessness charity AKT. This will help more young people live freely, openly and honestly, something Make It Rain and Jean-Paul Gaultier are all about championing this Pride month and every month. Make It Rain is proud to be working with Aurelia London, the experts in probiotic skincare. This year, I've been learning about the wonders of using a resurfacing product in my skincare regime. So get ready for an education. Resurfacing your skin encourages cell turnover, which helps your skin in so many ways. I've been using Aurelia's new resurfacing serum. It's formulated with a natural retinol alternative, Bakuchiol, Combined with probiotics and niacinamide, this soothing wonder serum enhances radiance no matter what skin type or concerns you have or even when skin is feeling a bit dull. And it's not affected by UV rays so it can be used day or night. That's the dream, right? It's got a gorgeous lightweight texture that gently resurfaces skin to reveal your brightest glow. It's the ultimate summer serum, babes. And because Aurelia London and Make It Rain are all about empowering people to glow inside and out, I've got a special code for you. Get 20% off the entire range by heading to aurelialondon.com and using the code Josh20 at the checkout. Well, there's so much amazing stuff you were just saying about gender in that last conversation we were just having. And I think as well, it must be such an interesting experience to um, live your life as a man and then transform into a woman on stage. And that must have taught you so much about gender. But I was also wondering, what has also that taught you about body image and Mm. your relationship with your body image? Has it empowered your body image in a way?
1: Um, My body image in so much as like traditional beauty standards. Mm. Um, I think that it's interesting because I've always been slight of frame and, um, and doing drag, I, I've grossly underestimated how hard you have to work to put on any ounce of muscle. Um, and I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh, I don't want to, even though all of the, all of the gay men have muscles and six packs, I know I'm making broad brush statements here brush strokes here but that was i remember feeling that way when i was when i was younger and i always thought like oh i'm not really man enough um to fit in with them um and i always felt a little bit less than with regards to my body and and like thought "Oh, i don't have muscles or i don't have like the things that the the gay men have that i am certainly like you know my loins are attracted to Uh, and if If I want them to be attracted to me, then I have to look like that too. But then I have this thing called drag that I really love doing. And I was concerned about compromising uh, my drag. And I think that I was concerned about compromising my drag because for me, drag was more than a job. It was actually Mm. a way to express my femininity. And I I compartmentalised it for a very long time. But I really enjoyed... Getting to be perceived as feminine, getting to be perceived as uh, as a woman, as it were, I obviously don't claim to understand any of the lived experiences of being a woman, because I am not one. Uh, but I do know that I can present uh, and be perceived as one sometimes. And there was something about that experience when I was younger that was really intriguing to me. And coupled with the fact that I got to be on stage and I got to perform and do what I loved doing and do it in a way that was so expressive, um, that was just something that I was more important to me than, like, having pecs and abs so that I could mm. get laid from the boys. Um, but it was something that was always like a struggle, like that sort of battle that would go back and forth. And I remember uh, it was actually the night before I came out to my mum and dad. Um, I actually had like a, another existential crisis about my gender. And, um, a friend of mine who uh, is trans, her and I had been talking and about me coming out to my parents. I was 18, I think, or 19. And she had sort of been saying, you know, we'll just do you see how it goes. And, um, and I'd been at dinner the night before and I'd I sort of tried to broach the subject and I left dinner and I was in tears and I messaged my friend and I was like, can I, can I come to your place? I just don't want to go home tonight. And then I was at her place and I was feeling really emotional and started asking her questions. I had already asked her like, you know, questions about her her gender and her transition and things like that. And I just remember it was this weird sort of moment of clarity where I realized that what I wanted to be, was the ultimate expression of femininity and the ultimate expression of masculinity. Mm. Like, I wanted to be, like, the underwear model and, like, the, the guy in the Calvin Klein box and the girl on the Sports Illustrated cover. And I just remember being like, hang on a minute. There's something in that. They're kind of like the polar opposites and they're both the... um." consumerist ideal of what beauty is and somehow at age 19 I caught that and I became aware that perhaps that was something that wasn't intrinsic that that was actually something that was being done to me by the society that I lived in and I think we all grow up with those unrealistic beauty expectations and body image expectations of being a man and being a woman but I think because most people err towards one side or the other, they only experience it. You know, they they either want to be one side or the other. But I think maybe because my gender identity is ultimately somewhere closer to the middle, I was kind of like torn between those two worlds, um, and I really struggled for a long time with body image because I didn't I didn't have any issues with my body like i didn't have any dysmorphia associated with my you know the the gender of my body and how that Mm. presented um but i did always feel like i wasn't man enough um and then years went by and around 33 i came to sort of understand this term gender fluid and i understood that it was okay for boys to be feminine and girls to be masculine and that was something that really liberated me and um helped to distill my gender identity to a place where I finally felt comfortable. And I was like, oh, I can be feminine. I can like, like reductive things. Like I can like pink, <laughs> I can like girly things. I can do all of these things as a boy or as a girl or in between. And that, that's, that's who I am and that's okay. And weirdly mm. through that acceptance of my own gender identity, I then, um, I then, um, enjoyed sort of playing around with the in between a lot more because before that it was always really compartmentalized It was like a girl on one side, a boy on the other, and never the twain shall meet um yeah, and so the the sort of now i now when it comes to body image i i um just like to i like to I like to play around with body image as like a fashion accessory as well like the way it can look in clothes. And and I love, um, you know, as a woman of a certain age, it is good to um, keep up uh, my muscle tone as I creep into my 40s. Um, and so I I enjoy going to the gym now and I enjoy being fit and being healthy, but it's not from a place of, you know, insecurity mm. of needing to be liked.
0: Mm. I think it's also from my own experience when it comes to body image when you are in a relationship with a boy or you're sleeping with boys or you're doing whatever you're doing with boys (laughs) there's always a direct body image comparison you can Mm. be like oh my god well his pecs are way bigger than mine he's way more toned than I am and that can really affect the way that you view your own body image as well by directly comparing yourself to someone else continuously have you found that yeah, as well, I, in your own journey with the body image,
1: and that was a really liberating moment because I do have this, uh, perhaps well not unique but certainly more limited experience than most, uh, guys who are attracted to guys. That um, because I, I, I have this whole plethora of men who are attracted to femininity, guys who are um, either like trans amorous or. Uh, attracted to cross-dressers or fem boys or, or whatever. So as Courtney, um, I've had sexual relations with, with guys who identify as straight or as bi or pan, but who sort of err on the straight side of the spectrum. And because of that, those guys are actually not attracted to pecs and muscles mm. and strength. And um, so when I'm in drag... In those sort of situations, I'm sort of maybe more performing femininity. But then I've had many crossovers, and one in particular, which was a really pivotal moment, is there was this guy. He was a go-go dancer in West Hollywood, who was just like, like, you know, he he kind of looked like He-Man. Like if there was a a movie being made about He-Man, he would probably play him. Um, it's like those
0: Hercules Disney fantasies as a kid. Yes, exactly. We got
1: there. <laughs> and he. And I had had sexual relations several times with me as Courtney. And then he texted one day and he was like, oh, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh, just laying in bed. And he's like, oh, I'm around the corner. I'll come over. And I was like, no, whoa, no, 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 no. I'm not like I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, not dressed at the moment. He's like, oh, even better. I'm like, no, 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 you you don't understand. Like I'm not, uh, I was like, how do I say, I don't want to like crush his. I mean, he knows that I'm not a cis woman, um, because he definitely enjoys my penis that is a part of the sexuality that is manifesting when we're in the bedroom together uh but you know i wasn't in drag and i was like hang on wait i, I i'm i not and i was sort of like trying to explain like daintily without being like i'm a boy right now uh and he was like oh that's fine and i'm like no i don't think you understand he's like no no it's fine and i was just like having this existential crisis like on, when he was on his way there Being like Oh my god Like I, Normally I, I sleep with him When I'm in, in drag And I'm like feminine But I'm a boy now And if I was around Straight guys Going back to our first point If I was around a straight guy As a boy I would need to like Butch it up I wouldn't want to like Fem it up Because like mm. He'd get aggressive towards me And that could be dangerous But then like If I was with a gay boy I'd also be trying to Butch it up Because I was trying to Minimize the feminine parts About myself Because of a whole lot Of internalized misogyny Or homophobia Or, or transphobia Or whatever you want to call it And like kind of having this like full crisis mode, not knowing to whether be feminine or masculine or what I should be for this guy. And at that moment I realized that I didn't know what I should be. And that the only thing I could be was myself and just see how that goes. And the door opened and he was like, hi, how are you? And like started making out with me and tearing my clothes off. And I was like, okay, we've been thinking about very different things in the lead up to this. And clearly you're still attracted to me. And, uh, I'm, I'm, Just being myself, like I wasn't like, I didn't, I thought like being feminine as a boy in inverted commas was, was confusing to my brain, but then being masculine didn't complement what his attraction was. And so I was just able to allow him to find me attractive as I was. And that was this really transformative moment for me where I realized that I could actually just be desirable as me and that Mm. I didn't have to perform masculinity or femininity in order to be desirable and I think so often um I think so often perhaps because our sexualities are forged at a young age where they're they had they have to be minimized or or you know um we have to assimilate to sort of some sort of greater identity, that we come to think that perhaps who we are at its core is unlovable and that we have to try to be something that we think other people will find attractive. And I think that is one of the greatest flaws of, well, not just queer folk, but, you know, attraction, period. Because I think ultimately what is truly sexy and what is truly attractive is someone who is being themselves, Mm. is someone who is totally comfortable in their body, in their sexuality, in their gender, in all facets of themselves. And not, you know, I mean, that's a big call. I don't know if there's anybody who is completely, ultimately, totally comfortable. I think we're always a little bit uncomfortable with certain things, but the more that we can cast off those expectations, I think the... the the sexier we get in a weird way. And I think that when you're performing something that you think someone else is going to find attractive, ultimately, if they do find that attractive, you're reinforcing an idea about yourself, which is that who you are at its core is undesirable Mm. because you're pretending to be something that you're not. So you're constantly like digging this hole of shame for yourself when other people are finding you attractive, which I think is like the whole thing for like gay men and sex, there's a lot of validating sex to sort of validate insecurity that goes on. And, and men want to like feel more desirable by having casual sex encounters. But ultimately if there's no authenticity in that encounter, you're just like digging a deeper hole and making Mm. your life more miserable. So I think there's a real, um, real strength in being vulnerable enough to say, oh, I'm actually not this mask guy, or I'm actually not exactly, you know, uh, making your Grinder profile or your Tinder profile or your location-based dating profile a little bit more honest. Um... Being a little bit more honest when you're interacting with the person and actually being like, hey, this is me. And if that person finds that attractive, then that's great. And if they don't, that's great too because ultimately, you know, you're sorting the wheat from the chaff, I think, when, when if somebody isn't attracted to you because of who you are, then you don't really want to have sex with them or go on a date with them anyway.
0: That's so true. There's so much of that because... I've always felt like when I used to be on dating profiles I always felt like I had to assimilate to being something else mm. and then you'd be like and I've even seen it with some of my friends as well and then they they will say to me oh my god Josh I don't understand why this person didn't like me and I was like babe you are not that person in that profile darling like you need to take I, I don't know how to say this like lightly but that isn't yeah. you and you need to find that person who loves you because ultimately then that will enable you to love yourself and loving yourself is the most important thing of all and I think that um especially in the queer community mental health is such a big topic and mm. i mean it's with everyone to be honest but i was just wondering with having your drag persona and having that in your kind of weaponry <laughs> has that helped you in my arsenal in your ass <laughs> <laughs> sorry having that in your arsenal has that helped with your mental health in a way uh i think
1: ultimately yes But there was a long time there where it made it a lot harder (laughs) Mm. because um, I I think that as queer people, we have this unique experience in at some point we've had to step outside everything that was given to us, everything that we were told we were, and say, actually... I'm different, and I'm going to step away from the safety of the status quo and the safety of the herd and the pack and say, I'm vulnerable enough. I'm brave enough. I'm strong enough to say, I'm different to this and And I'm going to risk um, rejection from possibly family, possibly friends. and And there is such a peculiar strength that comes from that because I think for so many, straight people the world exists in a bandwidth enough that they can actually go through life without ever having to question anything Mm. about their own identity because it just kind of fits it's not necessarily who they are it's not necessarily what will fulfill them but ultimately it's not like making them miserable but Mm. weirdly as queer people, because there was something that was so intrinsic to who we are that we were suffering more than we were thriving because of that thing, and we had to come out um, it becomes such a strength to know to have that 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 confidence and that um understanding of who we are and with drag um it was such a detractor in the beginning from say my sexuality and attracting like guys because gay men grew up in the same world as everybody and are filled with just as much internalized you know misogyny as straight men as everybody else as you know women also you know grew up in that world and suffer from from that idea about femininity being less than and and all of that sort of stuff and so when i'm a boy who dresses as a girl um a lot of gay men are struggling with their own femininity And masculinity Let alone trying to deal with a partner <laughs> Who mm. is brazenly displaying it um, And so I kind of like Then had that like That kind of reinforced that uh, high school idea About like who I am Not being lovable Because none of the boys I was attracted to Loved me back And so that was It was kind of this weird self-fulfilling um, prophecy, but ultimately, um, as I got older, and as the language and the outside changed, and as people um, who were inspirations to me, um, people like I remember like reading books by Jenny Boylan and Kate Bornstein and Janet Mock, and um, also Chaz Bono, and, and meeting Chaz Bono on RuPaul's Drag Race and becoming good friends with him, and and having. Uh, you know, having like a a heterosexual trans man friend who was able to see the world from a perspective that I trusted but was totally different to my own was something that was really um, liberating for me as well because it was through his um, sort of lens and through me being able to see the world through his lens and as much as I could sort of put down my own and really have empathy for his experience and and to have my experience supported by him um in in where there was no judgment or shame was something that really helped to um come to understand who i was and so i think yeah all of those um all of those role models i guess and all of those storytellers and all of those stories were the things that really helped me to um come to feel confident in myself and and then ultimately, now I like I couldn't imagine it any other way. Like I'm so grateful for being the person that I am and, and drag and I'm so grateful that I did have all of those experiences where maybe things weren't as easy as they were for other people because I've come to know who I am independent of what was expected of me by the world and I think that there's such a strength in in that because i i i know who i am now because i wasn't able to just copy someone else's blueprint
0: i literally love that there's so much stuff that you've said in this episode today that she <laughs> has so resonated with things that i've gone through in my own life and i'm just like it's so amazing that we have role models like you in society today because we we need them we need the visibility and like as young people who well sitting here today as like a 32 year old knowing that i've gone through this whole journey and there's been these moments where i really despise myself and mm. really hate myself the person i am so incredible to see people out there living their truth in a way that you are especially so it's just so incredible to i see. Think,
1: i think that's the sh- the shocking thing about the queer experience is that like that struggle ends up being one of the most beautiful things and it's so hard to understand, I think, when you're in the depths of that struggle. You think, why me? Why this? Like, I wish I could be anything but this. Why can't I just be normal? But then when you make it through to the other side, you realise that, like, who you are is perfect and that that struggle Ultimately becomes such a strength, and it's just I don't know, it's so weird because I I reckon if somebody had said that to me at the time, I would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like if I, but yeah, that's that thing about like um, if being gay was a choice, I'd choose it every time.
0: <laughs> yes, all about it. Yeah, and that is a stunning way to bring us towards the end of this episode. But at the end of every episode, we always ask one final question, and that question always is, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule? You will always live by.
1: The one rule... I think it's the thing that I have consistently... uh, come to understand over the years so many times is that how I feel is the most important thing for me. Like, whether it's been in my career... Whether it's been in relationships, um, whether it's been in any situation, there's always it's always good to listen to other people and 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 hear what they have to say, and to understand as much as you can about any topic yourself. But ultimately, there's that like that that feeling that you have inside that tells you whether something feels good or whether something doesn't feel good and it's that feeling that you that I always have to listen to that I always and and every time that I haven't listened to it it's consistently proved that I should have listened to it (laughs) um I think a lot about like career things where like you know record execs or like big you know fancy tv people have said oh no 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 we think this is what this is this is how to do it and in inside I'm like oh I I just don't think I agree with you, but like, you're like the head of like a big global record company. Okay, well, I guess you must be right. And then I was like, oh God, that's horrible. That, that, that's, I can now see that that was a bad decision. <laughs> um, So yeah, I'm constantly proving myself right in that respect that you should always listen to
0: yourself. Yeah, and live your truth. That is the most important thing of all this. Yeah. Thing. And I love
1: that. it's just like, it's so funny, like, when you hear like haters detractors, people who would disagree with, say, the queer lifestyle in any of its iterations. And it's like, you know what? You guys actually just don't get it. Mm. (laughs) That's what I know. Like, I'm like, because if you were here and you could see the world through my eyes, you would see how wonderful and how beautiful being a queer person is. And while you're over there, Preaching and quoting your Bible and and hating and spending all of this time in vitriol and trying to take somebody else down, what you would actually ultimately realize is that like this is uh, this is wonderful and this is um, this is there's something just so authentic about actually knowing who you are as opposed to like reading some book that was written thousands of years ago, four hundred years after the fact of the actual events that happened in it. And now you're going to tell people how they should live their lives now and cherry-pick certain facts about it? I'm like, that's just, that's actually insane. Like, if you if you actually wanted to think about it, that's just nuts. So what I'm going to do is I know that I exist. I know that this is how I feel. And I know that lots of other people like me exist. And so I'm going to focus my attention on, um, you know, being, being, the most helpful and constructive person I can be, you know, in this world that we're living in now.
0: So here for it. And what a stunning way to end <laughs> that episode. Thank you so much. God, I really went on Enjoy a rant me. today,
1: didn't I? I, I got home from it. the gym and I was just like, <laughs> felt like I went to church on that one.
0: You had that protein <laughs> down you and you were raring to go.
1: Gosh, look at that. You You got my... My synapse is all
0: firing in the right ways. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Make It Rain with Pride. I hope you enjoyed listening to this chat as much as I have. And I hope, like me, there are many things you'll take away from this and use in your own life. Before I go, I just want to mention an incredible LGBTQ plus charity I work with. The LGBT Foundation has helped over 600,000 people a year maintain their health and well-being whilst empowering members of the community to live authentically. If you're struggling or just need to find your community, I put a link in the show notes if you want to check them out and see all the amazing work that they do. And I'll see you next time.